everybody and welcome to That's The Issue, the comic book podcast that gets to know you through the issues that you love. Uh, my name is Matt Loon and I'm joined as always by my co-host Mr Wes Messer. Wes, how are you doing this evening? Not too bad on this end. How about you Matt? How are you doing this evening? Yeah, I'm good. I'm alright. Thank you very much. Um, joining us this evening, uh, we've got a, uh, a very special guest. Um, he's been on the show before but he's come back to uh, a bit of a, do a bit of a uh, post-game discussion uh, about uh, Volume 1 of Paradiso. It's, uh, it's Ram V. Ram, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. It's good to be here again. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's good to have you back because the last time we spoke to you, um, issue one of uh, Paradiso was uh, was just due to come out. I think we uh, we spoke to you just before it came out, uh, and now the whole volume one is due to be released. Um, so that's the first four issues of Paradiso. So um, before we dive into the um, the kind of the minutiae of it, and we'll uh, try and uh, pick it apart and get through our thoughts on it. Uh, how has the um, how has the experience Excellent. been for you so far of, uh, of releasing this uh, this comic through Image? Yeah, it's been great. It's been very exciting. Um, obviously, my first kind of major uh, project with a major publisher, um, and to be honest, uh, I kind of try to ignore it uh, as much as I can uh, because yeah, I was telling this to someone else the other day. Um, I find that the best way for me to cope with getting too excited is to just put my head down and do the work. Um, so, so that's what I've been trying to do, but, but it's been nice. Uh, I went out to a few conventions. Um, I met a few sort of comics people and retailers and stuff. And, um, and it's kind of nice that they know of your work before you introduce it to them, which is, which is really cool. And never had that happen to me before. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your reputation precedes you kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I remember walking cool. through. I remember going through ECCC, and uh, I met Zach Thompson and uh, Lonnie Nadler there. Who did Cable recently, and they had this. They had a third guy with them who I hadn't met before. He yells out over this like crowded staircase, going, "Rom, I like your work, man." Uh, turns out that was Donny Cates. So I was like, "Oh shit, okay." Wow. <laughs> oh, <no, no. laughs> yeah. That's cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and that's the thing with like comics community. It's such a small like small community as well like everyone knows everyone and to a certain yeah. degree so like you you know once you start getting your work out there i imagine you do start kind of meeting people and and kind of making connections and things and it's uh, yeah it's a small world it's good yeah yeah uh, but i mean to me that also awesome. adds to like the experience of it um just that all these people you can find on twitter that you you know you're gonna eventually bump into them somewhere you know yeah yeah <laughs> well, I was going to say, um, what's um, what's the experience been like? You know, what's the reaction been like from like fans and from um, the general public, but also kind of like from your fellow creators and things. Yeah, it's been great. Um, I mean, most of it, uh, almost all of it, has been really positive. Um, there were a few complaints about people going like, "Ah, oh, I don't understand what's going on," but <laughs> they were mostly good, frustrated complaints. Because there were people going, yeah. oh, I don't understand what's going on, but it's intriguing, so I want to pick up the next issue. I'm like, yes, that's how stories work. <laughs> <I like> that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't want to lay it all out yeah, there exactly. straight away for everyone. Exactly. Like, exactly. who this guy is? This is. <laughs> yeah, it was good to yeah. see. Uh, particularly, I mean, I had emails coming in from people who had read the book um, that I didn't know before, and uh, they were pretty excited about it. And um, we had good reactions to when we finished the fourth issue um, on, on social media, on Twitter. So uh, everyone seems to like it so far. Image seemed to like it. They gave us the go-ahead to do like multiple volumes, which was very cool. So we're, we're working on the second arc right now. Excellent. Yeah, I did like the uh, the end of issue four. It's uh, Paradiso will return. I like that. Uh, that was cool. I always like seeing yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that's and that's yeah, awesome. That's yeah. what you that's what you wanted from it, isn't it? Really. I mean, I remember speaking to you the first time, and you you have, you know, uh, you know, to to kind of use the the city as the 
as the backdrop to kind of um, the conversation a little bit. You know, you've become the architect of this yeah. of this series, and you you planned out uh, a bigger story than what four issues would cover. Um, yeah, absolutely. So it's it's, yeah. it's good to kind of know that you've got that uh, you've got that room to explore it a little bit more now. Yeah, it is, and I mean, I also feel that I've heard quite a few creators say that. Um, the way they approach the first arc is they create something self-contained and if mm. it's successful then they can expand it to future arcs um, and I fear that TV has gotten us thinking like that far too often um, and, and my yeah. influence has kind of come from the you know 60, 60 issues of you know, Sandman or 100 issues of 100 bullets and yeah where, where are all those books gone I enjoyed those books so I, I figured maybe not 60 but, but maybe I could do if I can plan on a twenty issue run and sustain it, that would be that would be pretty cool. And so far, I mean, fingers crossed and thanks to all the people for all the support, uh, Arc One did quite well for us. So hopefully we can keep that going. Awesome. So how did you um, how did you approach these four issues then? Did you we spoke the, about the first issue quite a bit and we broke it down and uh, and we'll go into you know specific yeah. issues as well. But uh, did you go into these first four issues thinking right? I'm going to write this as volume one, or did you think right? I'm going to you know I'm going to I'm going to write the issues as they would be written and try and plan a little bit further in advance? Uh, no, I mean I had a very very clear idea of what I wanted to happen in each arc. Um, so. I feel like I accomplished all of those things in arc one uh, and maybe a little bit more. Uh, my storytelling tends to be quite dense, uh, but also I don't sort of plan in detail before I write, if that makes sense. So yeah. each issue, I have these plot points that I want to hit. I want to reveal this thing and I want this to happen and I want this character to do this crazy, crazy thing. That much I know going into an issue and then the rest of it just comes out as I write. Um, and that's how I did arc one. Uh, and I feel like I got through everything I wanted to do. Uh, the other sort of curious, mechanically curious thing about the way we're writing this is every arc is intended to be like a different neighborhood in the city, if that makes sense. And so it takes on a completely different aesthetic, completely different, um, art style, completely different story content, but still following the same sort of titular characters and and their adventures through the city that's good so and I, what i like about the the end of issue four you know not to skip too far ahead but um i like that there's a, a, a status quo has kind of been established with these with these four core characters moving forward so they're going to be you know they're they've all got their own reasons for being there they've all got their own kind of um like histories with the city and and kind of associations with each other yeah. and and moving forward that's going to be interesting going into the second arc you know i feel like you're you're setting up the readers for a completely different experience for with issue five than they got with issue one um and it, it's it's good yeah. I, li I like that um i like that kind of approach to things was it was it your intention to have like these four characters moving into the city as uh, as you move into the second arc yeah, absolutely. Um, and and some of these characters will will drop off, and some and they'll be joined. Like a group will be joined by some, uh, newer characters, if you will. And some of these characters will seemingly drop off to people's frustrations, only to return at a time where you least expected it. So, I mean, I feel like that's the hallmark of the kind of great sprawling stories that I read. You know, my my influences tend to be stuff like uh, the Dune. Um, you know, trilogy with, with Frank Herbert and um, mm. Dark Tower books. And you can never tell if a character's really gone because, you know, 500 pages later, he, there he is, you know, dressed as a Fremen in the desert. So, yeah, um, I think that kind of stuff um, I enjoy doing quite a bit. So um, if you if you if people are expecting to see all the characters that left issue four come back in issue five you might be disappointed but it'll be <laughs> worth it because when you least expect it there'll be a character that shows up and be like oh my god he came back so <laughs> i like you're you're um you're giving away a lot why by giving away absolutely nothing which i quite like yeah i remember that from last time we spoke you were, you were tantalizing us with little with little uh details about the, uh, about the book. I call you a mad genius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, but isn't that genuinely one of 
one of the parts of every sort of great adventure story that that you really love. I mean, I remember reading Lord of the Rings for the first time and and getting excited when when Gandalf came back out of nowhere. Um, and then yeah. I remember getting those same kind of feelings when I watched it in the movie. So, I mean, to me, that's that's always a cool thing as a writer to do is to figure out. I'm going to drop this character and make people believe he's gone, only to bring him back at a or bring her back at a time where um, you least expect it and has the most amount of impact. And so I do I do I do that quite a few times. Um, but also, I feel like the characters are. A, great sort of exploding point for the story. Uh, and what I mean by that is arc one, the story has been relatively self-contained, if you will, uh, even though it's like mm-hmm. this huge sprawling world that we created and, and, and the city and, and there's crazy stuff going on everywhere. And there's a lot to take in. It still really only happened at the border and in one settlement. Mm-hmm. So compared to the actual size of the city, that's nothing. Um, and so, the farther we go into the city, it's also parallelly the farther we go into the lives of these characters. Um, so, you know, you may find out the history behind why Karen's who she is. Um, and then, you know, next arc, you may find out why is Vance the way he is. And all of that will happen parallelly as you find out more about the city. And as we go deeper into, into our story, the larger story arc, if you will. I And I am intrigued because it, like, it was interesting I'm. I always have a, fear, a really interesting thing about seeing how when a city looks like very desolate, and then they show it back in the past and how it looked before, like everything went down. And one of my favorite, one of my weirdly yeah. favorite bits was in was a bit where you showed Paradiso before, as you call it, before midnight. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, "Whoa, Paradiso! Is like this bright, mm-hmm. vibrant, lovely city." And but then you show the other parts of the world, and you're thinking, "So wait a second. Is it not just Paradiso that got that got screwed up, like messed up, and all this stuff, or is it just Paradiso yeah. that just got messed up after midnight? Like, because that's what I find interesting. Yeah. So about this, I mean, as far as the story is concerned, um, I think it's it's quite clear that the rest of the world also got destroyed. That's why I was just um, thinking. What's interesting? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but what's interesting is that. For some reason, Paradiso is the only place that is that came alive, and so is kind of clinging on and trying to rebuild, if you will. And that's what I think about that because mm. I always think about this city, especially in issue four, when you can see it's like this city wants to be rebuilt, doesn't it? It wants to be brought back to life because you yeah. show like because it's funny how like when I because that but that's why I find it interesting. I'll be curious to see like if you show any more like flashbacks to like Paradiso. Before midnight, I love that you call it before midnight. That is actually, I just, I kind of get a really cool kick out of that, like because locals call it before midnight. It's like, oh, I yeah. like that because like it was just right New Year's Eve hit, boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty much. And it, um, and yeah, we have we have plans to go back to that. Yeah, um, I think I mean, all things going well, somewhere around the middle of the entire arc, uh, I want to do. I want to do, and I've spoken about this with people before, I want to do like a special where I invite maybe 10 writers and 10 authors to do a spread together each, um, kind of telling you the story of what happened exactly in those 10 minutes before midnight. Because if you remember in the second issue, it's actually 10 to midnight when you get a shot of the city and everything's perfect and it's bright and beautiful and people are celebrating. Right, yeah, yeah. So in 10 minutes, everything went to hell and what happened exactly. So um, maybe we'll do that in a, in a, hopefully we'll do that through a special one and that will kind of give context to everything else that's happening in the story. I'm intrigued to that because I like, especially because I, what, what's another aspect to me that kind of caught my eye is how the things, the people that you thought were, say, bad, the people who you thought could be like villains in issue one turn out to be yeah. good guys. Yeah. Before, like, yeah. wait a second, these people were supposed to be like the bad guy, and I'm doing air quotes as I like yeah. say this, but it's like the bad guy characters, and then so suddenly, like, oh, they're actually kind of the good guys because they're protectors of the par- of Paradiso, they're protectors of this this yeah. place. Because I I love how you explore like the Black Factory, which is probably the scene that I just went, whoa, 
the Black Factory in Kronos. <laughs> Is probably yeah. one, and it's yeah. not, and it doesn't give you guys anything away because you have to see it to believe how this works out. But it's, I was like, this is really cool. It's, it, it gives good revelation, like, like what to, to like all the different, to the character. And then you get to learn, like, oh, who Jack's character. And then you get to learn a little bit about, oh, so this is where this. And then you see like more ideas of, oh, so that's where this person thing, like, well, and, but it doesn't give you everything, but it gives you enough to go, Son of a gun. Okay. I can see this a little differently now. Like now I look at the guardians a lot more differently than what I looked at the beginning. Now it's like, Oh, they, Oh, that's what they do. They're, they're not the bad guy, the bad guy, but they're, they're protecting stuff. They, they might be a little extreme, but they're protecting stuff from, they're protecting people from whatever other crap is going to come at them. Mm. Yeah. I think that's a testament to um, like, uh, Dev Pramanik's art as well, because like yes. the, oh the, the design of the Guardians, like, are quite they're quite um, evocative, aren't they? Of, of like kind of uh, sci-fi movie monsters, almost. You know, with the with the steel jaw yeah. of uh, you know of, of Mister like Mister Honeybad, and then Honeybad. and then there's like the you know the, <laughs> the glowing red eye, you know, as and it's just like that's they're kind of they're, there's there's touchstones of you know through kind of history of yeah. sci-fi where you it's kind of shorthand in your brain of oh this is a bad guy you know and then like uh, and then they they yeah. kind of deal with things with excessive force and and it's like you think oh okay yeah you you know that and then you think okay that's a trope i can get behind and then it's kind of subverted a little bit really and then by the end of issue four you're you're really feeling feeling for the characters and you feel that they have this kind of emotional farewell and it's just uh, mm-hmm. and it kind of does flip everything a little bit which is great yeah, and and I mean that's something also that we really love doing. Um, when I when I first I remember when I first sort of explained that scene to Dave, um, that came right after. Actually, the first thing I explained to Dave was um, Dandy's kind of kind of destruction. I don't want to give too much away. Um, <laughs> and then when that happened, he was like, he was really he was genuinely sad. And as a writer, that's great to to see. I know it sounds perverse, but. If I can make my artist feel really bad about a fictional <laughs> character that he's drawing on the page, then I know that my readers are going to feel that way. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, you're reading the book. He has to sit there for hours and draw this character. And if he can still manage to have sympathy for for that character, then mm. I must be doing something all right. So Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I love doing stuff like that. Um, and if you notice, like we did that with other characters too. So when the when the first issue opens, you see uh, Joseph and Jack and their relationship oh, in like a really it. brief kind of three-page intro and you make assumptions of who Joseph is and who Jack is. A um, couple of things happened there. I don't know if this happened to you guys, but we did get people going, ah, I don't know. Joseph's relationship with Jack after the fourth issue kind of feels creepy. And I'm like, yes, good. Um, it's a little weird. Yeah, it, it's it's a little. It's like it's a little, you don't think about it until now. Yeah, it is a little weird. I mean, it seems like it's it's like part kindly old man to oh yeah oh yeah oh dear this there's enough there's weird. enough there that uh, you know you it kind of does it does settle something in your brain, doesn't it? And you think okay, that there's more there than than I assumed going into it. Um, yeah, but that's yeah, yeah that's. And then nobody asked who the girl was at the opening uh, in the first issue. And then when we were revealed... Like, the, I caught yeah. it. <laughs> and then the third issue happened like, and we had people were like, whoa, that's the same girl. Oh, my God. Same girl. What the... It's... I mean, that's what I kind of think was cool about this series. is like, the, that, yeah, you managed to get this all done within, like, four issues because it's like the how you got all this sort of, like, nice little thing in this four-issue chunk, which, by the way... Whenever you get it to a point where you get enough issues, I want this series as like a very cool hardcover on like a bookshelf, by golly, because that would be the coolest thing to have like like a twenty issue run of Paradiso, just bam, and like a cool hardcover. Well, I'm gonna record this because send this to Image right now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Get some hardcover on the bookshelf. Maybe make this happen. But but yeah, I mean, well, and and the one thing I I actually want to go back to the Chronos bit a second because. Yeah. That's what kind of made me catch your eye. Anyone who ever says the word ever says, well, what, how important is a letter? Yeah. Dear Lord, read the chrono scene. Yeah, yeah. Look, look at the chrono scene. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Aditya and, I, at Aditya and I, at the time, we did a piece uh, in Panel X Panel 
called as a reaction to that kind of adage that people keep uh, floating around that says our oh, lettering should be invisible. Um, and it, it really shouldn't. Um, I mean, it's okay. It's good to have non-intrusive lettering if that's what you're aiming for. And sometimes that's enough, but sometimes you can also have flourishes. It's like saying, well, the drummer's job is just to hold the beat. Yeah. Unless, unless you're, freaking Danny Carey from Tool, in which case the drummer's job is to, you know, have a 12-minute drum solo, and that's cool. Yeah, I think they, mm-hmm. yeah, they kind of associate that. Um, or, and so, yeah, I felt like Aditya's work was was uh, needed that kind of canvas to, and so when we did those pages, Dave was like, are you sure you want me to just black out this whole panel? I'm like, yeah, just wait for it. And then Aditya came back, and, uh, and Dervla came back with her design on it, and we were like, yeah, those yeah, pages yeah. look good. <laughs> I was in. I was in. Like that's what caught my eye so much with the Chrono with the Chrono stuff. I was going, I, wow. It's like and like anytime I ever if I ever see the words, well, what? How important is a letterer? <laughs> go hunt down Paradiso issue three. Just you, go read that, <laughs> and then you'll understand yeah. in about five seconds what the heck I mean. Uh, because like especially the I was there at the beginning bit, and then. And then the nice bit, Addy's, uh, the cool effect of the, yes, I am the primary. I was like, the cool, I mean, the lettering was like so flipping cool. Yeah. And it had such a neat design to it. And I just dug, and like the blur effects of the, of the not gone and the all is not lost yeah. bits. And I was like, wow. I mean, it felt like it, it, it was like, wow, it's so really neat, like very cinematic, very cool looking. And that's what caught my eye about the chrono scene. Like, that's going to be one of the things that sticks with me hard. I was just saying that we felt like it hadn't been done uh, in in comics, or at least we hadn't seen that sort of lettering effect and, and storytelling through lettering being done in comics. Uh, and so it, it, it feels really good to hear that that had that sort of an impact and that sort of an effect. It, it doesn't because you don't see it very often. I mean, it does, when you see something like that, it does stick with you. And it's one of those things yeah. where you go, no, this is why, this is why this makes sense the way it does. This is why, this is why one of those things where when you're looking at a book, it's not just one thing you look at. You almost have to look yeah. at, you have to look at everything because this is sort of like writer, artist, everybody's firing all cylinders and trying to go in, okay, we're going to, we're all coming together to make this look and be as cool as we can possibly make it in. By golly, I mean, it's it's just one of the things where you just go, wow. It's like, this is why you can't narrow your focus into one thing when you look at comics. You have to look at the whole package for, for you to go, oh, oh, wow. Okay, I get it. And it, like, clicks right in your head. Yeah, and that's, and that's yeah. what comics should do, isn't it? You know, that's what good comics do is this idea of doing something that other other mediums can't. And that like that scene yeah. is a perfect example of that, really, because, you know, you you bring in so many different things. There's obviously, you know, there's your scripting for it. There's, uh, there's Dave's, like, yeah. kind of, um, you know, evocative, like, kind of imagery that's being brought up. And then there's like Addy's yeah. like uh, you know lettering that goes on top of it, and and the way that there's like you know just there's full stops every you know that every after every word there's they're they're huge they're not in any speech bubbles they're not like kind of they're exactly. not written on a screen within within the scene they're actually like just superimposed yeah. over the top which makes it feel as though it's these words are kind of all encompassing you know they're they're everywhere they're in their head they're on the screen in front of them they're they're surrounding them and it's uh... yeah they kind of transmit chronos's sort of almost godliness if you will yeah because these words are kind of on the page they're not they're not contained in anything they're just there mm. so chronos is kind of transmitting the the power of of the city too in that it's just there you there's no there's no containing there's no dealing with it there's no pushing it to a side it's in your face yeah yeah and it it almost feels like it's kind of hacking into the the page itself and just like sending the message directly yeah. to you yeah yeah that's, i yeah. like that i did i wish i would have thought of that i like that that's cool yeah I it's, it's that. really it's a it's really well done yeah, we had we had a lot of fun doing those yeah. pages. Um, like, uh, and, and the other thing you said also really holds true is the first thing we kind of talked about when we saw those pages was it's impossible to do this page 
unless all of the creative team was, you know, firing towards the same target and making sure it, it got exactly. there. Yeah. Cause it, it's, I mean, and also the, and also that, and also kind of sticks the, it sticks the idea of like, of this, a centrum place that's coming up and it's like, yeah. it kind of sticks in your head. Like, Oh, what is this place? And it's almost like you get, it's like, it's like, it's like, Hey, just so you know, this is where this is what might you're kind of going to be looking forward to seeing. And you're thinking, what is this place going to be? And how is this connecting to the larger universe? This is this place is just growing left leaps and bounds in about five seconds, and yeah. and then it kind of clicks into like aspects of, and then and that's where I kind of go, oh okay, and then more of the aspects of this city's kind of like calling out to Jack saying, Jack. Look, Chronos. He's like, like Jack. Look, I'm Chronos here. Help me out. Like, you, you gotta help me out here, cause you gotta, you gotta help me get this city back in shape. Yeah, um, and, th- and that relationship between the Jack, uh, between Jack and the city, is gonna get much more complicated when you realize what the Numis actually <laughs> is, um, which we haven't talked about. Um, and then I love you that realize, way. Like, you will realize. Once you understand what the Numis is, you'll understand why uh, Honeybad and Dandy had to leave. I mean, had to separate, if you will. Uh, and then, and then Honeybad will make so much more sense. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of like the the kind of mantra which which I write everything is: if you're gonna reveal something, unless you unless you've gotten to a point where you're pretty pretty close to sort of giving up the gambit of your of your story. If you're gonna reveal anything, at least at the beginning, it should only be so that that information makes your readers ask more interesting questions. So okay, so does that mean it's like so it's like kind of one of the things so like say one example is since Honeybad was operating as one of the city's guardians, does that mean Honeybad is operating as sort of like Jack or the Numas new Num- the the uh, guardian there like has his has that role now evolved into oh I'm not just the city's guardian now I'm a traveling guardian of Jack and this and this um, I mean I don't I don't want to give anything away so I'm not maybe... giving anything away I'm just sure I'm just, I just <laughs> that's my own speculation here you can take that as you will that's just me I mean I mean you're close uh, Ooh, you're not there but you're close. <laughs> And then there's the Watcher as well, which keeps uh, which keeps rearing his uh, like many, many eyes head. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's like a, it's yeah. like a kind of a creeping a creeping dread that's kind of been seeping through every issue. He's there like in the in the past, and then he's there in the present, and and obviously he's going to be kind of there in their future as well a little bit. But um, it's it's yeah. like that the design of that character. I think we we spoke about it the last time we spoke, but the. The design of that character is so is so strong. It's so kind of um, quite iconic, I think, as well. You know, with the you know the trench coat and the hat, but then this this strange alien face, which is you know thousands of little kind of red eyes, almost, isn't it? That's looking. Yeah, it's uh, it's great. That's uh, how did that come together? That kind of character. Um, so the Watcher was kind of conceptualized. So when we first uh, conceptualized the series, um, I think I mentioned the first time I was here, we wrote. Like these weird short stories set in parody, so we weren't sure if there was going to be a longer story there, uh, and so we just did these independent short stories. And one of the short stories I wrote was about the Watcher, um, and so I kind of wrote his origin story as a short story, if you will, uh, for the city. And once that was done, I gave that to Dave, and I said, "Well, this is his function. This is what he was meant to do. This is kind of what I think he looks like." Uh, and then Dave just went uh, went ahead and drew him on the page, and, and it was perfect at the time. So like we didn't we didn't meddle with it. He added a few things, which I mean, this is what I mean by comics being super collaborative as well. Is uh, he added a few things on the page that weren't really there in my design, uh, but then I was able to go back, take that, and work that into a story. So you're gonna see that design become part of the narrative of the story at some point, and and. It has a reason to be there now. 
See, that's yeah, that's very cool. And again, that's that's what that's what it's all about, isn't it? Really, is that idea of you not only you kind of him interpreting you, and and then you know your words being brought to life. It's it's about you know you influencing each other and and raising the the quality of the work up because of it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and I mean, that's why you call it co-created. In that, it's not it's not just you know me giving out instructions on a script or anything like that. In fact, I try not to. I try to convey just the emotional content of of what I'm trying to achieve with bare bones visual stuff as to what goes into a panel. Uh, the rest of it really is Dave, and as long as I feel like as long as Dave understands the emotional content of what I'm trying to convey, he'll always be on the mark. Um, so when he does those things and it comes back, I'm like, huh. I hadn't expected to see that. Um, I could just ignore it. I could ask him to change it, but I feel like the more interesting thing for me as a storyteller is to go back and go, how do I work this into what I want? Yeah, to do? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, the last time we spoke, um, we were talking about the, um, the idea of like uh, a city that is, you know, uh, through, through kind of collaboration of, of thousands of, of, of people and cultures and processes and, and, you know, just day-to-day life, you know, a, a city does come alive. Um, and this, you know, and that's kind of a central theme to parody. So, you know, obviously the, mm-hmm. the sci-fi aspects of the story take it in a very literal sense. Um, but there's also that yeah. kind of, you know, that message that runs through this book of, you know, the idea of your, your surroundings influencing you as a person and, and you therefore yeah. influencing the city as well. Uh, I just wondered if you wanted to talk about that a little bit more with, you know, with, in the in the context of these first four issues really and kind of how you feel as though you've achieved that kind of idea within these first four issues uh yeah yeah i mean i know i know that the science fiction aspect of it takes that a bit literally um but also i feel like it it allows me to explore because i'm doing it literally kind of literally it allows me to explore these very relationships between a city and its people um, in these like super extreme contexts. So for example, yeah, if, a, if a city, you know, has created these guardians, if you will, um, and the guardians are, are performing a function for the city, they're protecting it. I mean, you could, you could look at people in their professions today. Uh, and so many of those professions are tailored to either protect or maintain or in some way better a city, right? Um, and so this yeah. that that relationship between Parody Sound and the Guardians, which we will explore, which we've merely established in these four issues, but which we will continue to explore as the story goes on, it asks interesting questions. Does the city think of these people as living? Does the city think of these people as merely functional things that she's built? Uh, are they expendable to her or does she have some sort of attachment towards them? Um, why did some of them turn bad and why are some of them still protecting her? So these kind of questions are only possible um, in that sci-fi context, but I think they're they're kind of aiming at something that we can look at in our lives and around us today. Um, the the numus in itself becomes a very interesting vehicle of asking those questions um, in that we haven't talked about what the numus actually does. We only know that it somehow seems to quote unquote, give life to, to dead things and, or technological objects, or it tends to kind of superpower um, technological objects, if you will. Um, But as we explore the truth of what that actually is, it'll start making sense in a very different way. Uh, and then you'll stop looking at things as being powered and start asking questions of, do these things live now? Do these things exist? Um, and and are, they, are they independent? Are they under the control of a city? Are they being led by a greater power, if you will? And so it starts getting into questions about religion and, and theology and what we accept. So is Paradiso really a god? Um, and so those kind of questions are super interesting to explore, but I also don't want to do that yeah. very, very sort of didactically and put my finger on and say, this is what we're saying. Um, I think it's much more interesting just to take all these 
pieces of of interesting questions that we have and then kind of throw them on this canvas and see where see where the pieces fall you know this sci-fi concept that you're using is is you it's it's very elegantly done as well you know this idea that uh, you know the this this city has these these individuals that serve a serve a function you know it's it's mentioned throughout the issue and you've you've brought it up a few times as well these these individuals that have functions within the the kind of the ecosystem of of keeping paradiso alive and and that's you know again that's a very kind of um you know it's a very a, a very clever example of of what happens in real life as well you know you see there's obviously there's architects there's builders there's you know there's construction work and then there's you know there's there's law enforcement and things which which keep the you know the the public and the social aspect of of society functioning which then maintains the city which maintains the ecosystem of the city and you know it's 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 a very kind of complex uh you know, mechanical construct, really, in in reality as well as 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 opposed to just in Paradiso. Exactly. Yeah. And what? Again- I'm glad. Sorry, I'm glad you brought up the word ecosystem mm. because yeah. um, because we're kind of discussing that in Arc Two in a in a in a differently interesting concept uh, context rather. Mm. Um, like we're kind of asking the question: What if you perceive something as bad? Yeah. but the city needs it okay. because you are no longer the driving like today cities exist at least in in theory because we need them to exist they they're alive because we want places to live in and we want places where we interact with each other and and, and do work and, mm-hmm. and create things um but in a say in the context of a city having its own imperatives and prerogatives if you were to encounter a group of, of creatures or, or things that that you perceived as dangerous or or, or, were, or threatening, but the city needs them. How do you deal with that in an ecosystem? Um, I mean, human beings are 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 a pretty pummeled and destroyed group of people right now. Mm. Um, and who's to say that they are the only they are the only group of people who are living in the city? Or at least humans, as we define them. So, so that's a, that, that that's an interesting direction I feel to take it into, and so we're, that's kind of what we're doing with art too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, it, that touches on your idea of um, of theology and and kind of you know is is Paradiso a god? And the idea of does you know you talk about whether it's good for the people or good for the city, and and it almost sounds like it's her the needs of Paradiso transcends good and evil. You know, and it goes back to, you know, that kind of idea of the, you know, humanity being at the whims of, of gods and uh, the powers, you know, yeah. and, their, and their, their kind of desires or their needs, you know, that you can, you can call that back even to like kind of Galactus in the Fantastic Four, you know, what he does isn't good yeah. or evil, it is, it is a <laughs> force like of nature, you know. And that's yes, yeah, similar absolutely. to Paradiso. You know, she she's not doing something to be good or to be evil. She's just doing something because to survive, I suppose. Well, um, that's also interesting um, to ascribe that need for survi- survival is to still give it higher purpose. I mean, if you think about it in context, as a new life form, Paradiso is a baby. Like, mm-hmm. She doesn't know what she's doing, too. So she might just be kind of swinging her arms wildly one day and end up destroying like a group of or a group of settlers like she doesn't know she she makes mistakes she's still finding out what she is so so that to build that into it is also interesting because it then brings in questions of of innocence and questions of learning how to live with other things that you are responsible for and so to explore that from the perspective of a city as as a living thinking thing uh is super interesting it, as well and then it does just strike me interesting because like it's how people have done stories like involving people in a city and how people have done stories like say like new york and how people mm-hmm. have like matt was touching on that people out in the city it's like keep and talking about like, how people live in the city and living around the cities because like like it's funny i was actually thinking about this the other day and how like science fiction's the like a great way to tell this sort of story, like about a, a living city and the people within the city, because you could tell a form of this story. Like you could tell a form of this story without a science fiction element, but more just a city that, that has all these different people in it. But the science fiction element, that's where you go. Ah, yeah. okay. 
that's where you can start exploring the city, trying to figure out, figure its way out in this world. Because you talk about like the theology aspect, talk about like Paradiso. Is it a God? Is it, what exactly is it? And it's still trying to figure its way around. So that's where the science fiction element comes into play because yeah. I, I think of this, I, I do think about this in an interesting way because like in my own, in my own world, like, like I have like my, like my, my mom, for example, like if I show, if I showed her, if I tried to explain to her, she'd be, her head be going, Whoa, this thing. Cause she is not, she cannot get into sci-fi for the life of her. Now my dad would think it was awesome. My dad like, Oh, this is cool. I was like, this is a little too sci-fi for me. But if I told her, well, what about like a city that had all these people in it? And, and say, I didn't mention the sci-fi elf, like, and she went, Oh, she might, she, we got like, I told her like a little bit. She went, Oh, okay. Cause, but like the only sci-fi show I ever able to get my mom to watch is like ever into is like really Eureka. That was on okay. sci-fi channel. And, and mm-hmm. and David Tennant's Doctor yeah. Who, yeah, yeah, and and those and the that only two shows I've ever been able to really yeah. get her into yeah. sci-fi wise yeah. is Eureka and David Tennant's Doctor Who. Yeah. The only two sci-fi I've ever been able to get her to really go, <laughs> okay, I can kind of get into this, and and that and like and I and also to a degree and also Wally and also Pixar <laughs> Wally. Yeah. But, but again, like, all of those things that, that you talk about, like they mm-hmm. they all have. They all use sci-fi as a way of um, exploring bigger ideas, don't they? Especially like, uh, you know, I don't know too much about Eureka, but especially like Wally, that explores like, you know, massive, massive themes about, you know, humanity and like kind of uh, the destruction of of the planet and things like that. And it's it's quite, you know, it's quite deep with its its things like that, with its its ideas there. And again, it uses sci-fi as a tool for that. And that's why intrigued. Yeah, I was, that's why uh, I was talking once to a no- novelist who who said, you know, all good stories have to be fundamentally stories about human beings. Exactly. Um, and and you know, I think he was saying that partly as a reaction to him not enjoying sort of science fiction or fantasy stories, which I think is myopic. But yeah, what I take what I took away from that was was even if you write really outlandish science fiction or, or some kind of weird fantasy or, or incredibly strange horror, it all has to tie back to asking questions that make mm. you reflect on humanity. Um, I mean, it's cool to have, you know, robots and monsters and magic and all of those things. But if by the end of the story, you aren't asking questions about what it means to be human alive, to, to have friends, to have, to have emotions, to do crazy things in the name of those emo- names of those emotions, then you aren't really engaging in the story. It's just a cool thing that's there, but it doesn't it doesn't connect back to you being you in any significant way. Exactly. I mean, if you if you don't give it, if you don't care about the people that are inhabiting this, oh, this is cool. Here's a cool robot. Oh, here's a cool monster. Here's a neat little crazy <laughs> world that we're living in. Look at all this craziness going around. This is all crazy and wild. Yeah. I don't give a damn about these people. I don't care about anything else outside of all well, these. Is, this is cool. So you have to get people that element of okay. So because you can go as crazy out there wild outlandish whatever you want to do with your sci-fi story and but if you and if you give people those characters care about it's like you go this you have this crazy bonker sci-fi story and you go oh okay okay i can yeah and like you get into the people i mean it's sort of funny like i'll give you i'll get really i'll go really crazy out there right now like right now i i watch like on uh dc's legends tomorrow right now they they just finished up the most one of the most bonkers seasons of TV on the <laughs> planet Earth, in which they had a weird long, long form story arc of of a giant of a giant stuffed plushie named Bebo, wow, who was a, considered a <laughs> war god, in at one point in the show, and then in the weirdest long con you ever could imagine, they had a giant war god Bebo save the day. When they, and some weird, crazy thing, you're going, this should not have worked as well as it did. But thing is, it's like, you kind of get, by the time they get to the point you are in the series, you kind of, you like these characters, you've seen these characters throughout the series. And when they went bonkers, they went yeah. for it. 
and yeah. you still gave it so and you still care about the characters. So it's like one of those where you go, you can go bonkers, but if you don't care about the characters, the bonkers are like, that's oh, bonkers. And that's how you'll describe that's how you describe it to your friends. But yeah. that anyone would ask, well, what about this thing you like? Eh, it's bonkers. Yeah. But no more than that. That's that's it, yeah. But like I think if I told someone about Paradiso, like, oh, this thing is like this really living city. It's really cool. It's got and you got these really deep characters that you're getting to explore. And you can kind of get people going and you kind of get people, even who people who are in the science fiction, they probably look at some go, huh? So wait, you kind of see it's like a living city. And you're like, yeah. And you could get people curious on many levels. Yeah, absolutely. Because see, I had, I had a point I was going for. <laughs> you, you did. You did well. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Paradiso volume one then is, um, is all out now. Well, not out now. It's out on May 16th. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's called Essential right. Singularity. Um, so, what? Um, how did you arrive oh, at that yeah. name? Uh, it's a reference to the, the the original document or the first mention of the singularity as we know it, uh, which is you know that point in time where technology no longer needs uh, human beings for it to continue to exist and evolve and create itself. Um, and I guess it made sense for me to sort of open with a reference to that. I mean, I, I love, A, I love doing references to things. So, you know, I've got an Italo Calvino quote in there um, and I've got I've got an issue three cover that references mm-hmm. a Nietzsche quote. So I love, I love quote, doing references to things. So Your quotes are sort of like the sorry? special icing on the cake of Paradiso. It's like those quotes right at the beginning. It's like, ooh, I like that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and so so essential singularity sort of continues in that tr- tradition, but also refers to we are there, we're at that time where, at least in this story in Paradiso, technology no longer needs human beings to continue to evolve and create itself. Um, but then we go we go in and subvert that idea with yes, but can technology truly say that it is alive if it does not? understand human beings mm. yeah and also i like the well i don't like but the thing that fascinates me about the singularity kind of idea is that is that kind of barrier of the unknown um and that's explored in paradiso as well really isn't it it's kind of this uh, the unknown city you know what we don't know what's what's there there's there's an unpredictable nature to you know paradiso's uh, kind of wants and needs for want of better words um, so, and I think that's you know it does it does absolutely fit you know the idea of uh, the the title essential singularity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the intention certainly was to make it work on those yeah. on those levels. Yeah. So it collects the first four issues. Um, it's obviously it's written by yourself with art yeah. by Dev uh, Pramanik, colors by um, we've not even talked about uh, Dev Lakelli's colors, which are superb throughout the um, throughout the four issues that we've seen so far. Um, she's um, she brings like a, a definite um, aesthetic to every single scene, really. Um, and again, especially those that scene where we, you know, where we're talking about um, you know, Kronos and all yeah, that. Yeah, you know, I the, wish I would have remembered the name there, on the top right? of my head because yeah. I, my, I was just like, Dan, thank you, Matt, for reminding me of, of the name because I was like, yeah, because her colors are freaking gorgeous. Because yeah, oh my, God. like the colors are just so eerie in in that yeah. whole sequence. Um, they kind of they're kind of unnerving almost, uh, and I love that about that sequence. Uh, so it never they never kind of leave you feeling comfortable, especially the page that uh, Wes mentioned, which was with the you know I was there at the beginning bit. Like that whole page is in various tones of yeah. red and pink, and uh, it just it just it create. I mean, at least for me, it created that sense of oh my god, this is a reveal, but it's also a really weird and disturbing reveal. Yeah, it's, almost, yeah. it's almost one of those yeah. things where it almost feels like it's it's right on the page, but you almost feel like it could pop off the page at you. Like, is go like, oh, oh dude, yeah. this is freaky, but this is so cool, but this is so freaky, but I love it. <laughs> yes, yeah, I think definitely. That, and, that encap- encapsulates all my feelings about parody, so this is so cool. <laughs> this is so freaky, but this is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that should be, uh, that should be the quote for the next arc. <laughs> yeah. If that became a quote for the next arc. I think my, I think I'd be like, huh? <laughs> I think my brain just be going, oh, okay. I, I didn't expect this yeah. to happen, but that's cool. 
<laughs> so um yeah so paradiso volume one uh, out on may 16th that's not the only thing you've got coming out as well you've um you've also got um brigand's ruin of thieves which is uh is coming out as well on uh, may 30th um, yeah that's right do you, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that yeah so my first my first kind of international comic was um was a, was a series called brigands uh, which i did with my first publisher action lab um and it was this kind of Game of Thrones meets Ocean's Eleven sort of gritty, grimdark fantasy, but with like a new school heist movie plot. Um, <laughs> and it really was born out of my need to do fantasy that didn't just sound and read like another Tolkien mashup uh, of some sort. Um, uh, my contemporary influences fantasy tend to be much more sort of grim and, and gritty. And it, it's about... It's about people with swords and, and not that much magic going on, but they're all like clever and cutthroat characters. So, um, yeah, the story just kind of came to me uh, when I was done reading uh, a set of books by Joe Abercrombie. I don't know if you guys uh, have heard of him. He did a series of books called uh, First Law books uh, that were just okay. amazing. Um, and, and yeah, so so did the story wanted to do like a heist movie plot and, and just kind of take it from there. Um, and yeah, that too is, you know, going to be another sort of 12 to 15 issue thing. So this is like a, the first arc, the first book, if you will, was, was five issues. This one's going to be a similar kind of length. Um, and hopefully we'll do, we'll do a third one that, that closes everything off. So um, yeah, I hope that gives context about the series. Um, yeah, definitely, and that's so you you envision it being the the second of uh, of three acts, if you will. Uh, I mean, I, I'm writing it. I'm kind of going whole hog with my fantasy reference here. I'm doing it like a trilogy, so you could read it as an independent book as well. Um, yeah. So, uh, but it does. There is a larger story, and these characters do repeat in all of the books. And so, if you read all three of them, you you definitely get a larger sense of what was going on. Awesome, yeah, and that's from Action Lab, and that's out on May thirtieth, or issue one's out on May thirtieth. Yeah, issue one is out on May thirtieth, um, and I want to mention this because so so Paradiso was was Dave's kind of big debut, but he had done work before for 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 Boom Studios when he did Nightbreed uh, and mm. Adventure Time. Uh, Rune of Thieves features art from uh, an artist called Sumit Kumar, who has not done any sort of international work, but I would be surprised if he wasn't doing big two work within like the next few years. And he's, he's incredibly young. He's only like 26 or 27 or something like that. Um, that's his work, young. like <laughs> that's disgustingly Sorry? young. He's too talented to be that young. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but look at his work and it's like, like I look at his work and I, and I'm amazed every time. Um, and he has that rare talent that that's very hard to develop, I think, um, for visual artists as well, which is he innately gets how to transmit emotion and acting mm. in his characters, which is really hard to do. Um, and he doesn't use just facial expressions. Like he gets body language, he gets subtle movements and everything in his act, uh, in his art. And, and it ends up, like I end up reading those pages and I go, oh man, I love the way she tilted her head when she said that. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i'm looking at some preview pages of it now and it's uh it's yeah it's fantastic like of a like a young shepherd boy like fleeing from uh this you know what looks like a comet flying through the sky yeah. and uh the the action the the kind of the choreography of that scene is yeah. is is powerful it's really yeah powerful. but i mean but personally personally what i love about that is if you look at the first page of the preview and there's a shot of him like eating a mm. fruit and there's a shot of him just kind of turning and looking to the sky. Like that, that is the expression you would yeah. have if you just saw like, and went, what the <laughs> hell is that? And that is tough. That is tough yeah. as nails yeah. to capture. It's really hard to do. A comic yeah. page. Yeah. So when you ca when oh, that, yeah, and like capturing that, that is, that is just mad props for capturing that sort of image of what is that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is the sound as well. Yeah, you you did the sound very well for that. Yeah, that's Aditya, by the way. The the scrunch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
And so uh, you've also got um, a uh, another project coming out, um, a graphic novel called uh, Is it Graffiti's Wall? Yeah. Um, which is uh, looks is it coming out from Unbound? Yeah, it comes out from Unbound. Uh, they're a book publisher in the UK, um, and the way that happened was they had seen uh, Black Mumba, which was my self-published graphic novel, um, which mm. was kind of this crime noir esque story set in a magic realist weird Mumbai. Um, and the editor at Unbound looked at that and she went, do you have any other Mumbai books like Black Mumba? Um, and I said, well, I have, I want to tell another Mumbai story. And then I looked at it and I went, but I don't want to do the same kind of black and white thing. Here's, here's, here's our two kind of thing. So mm-hmm. really my reaction was to go, well, I'm going to do a complete different side of Mumbai or a complete opposite take on Mumbai and just make it ridiculously colorful and, and alive and, and, kind of brimming with activity. Uh, and I was talking to Anand Radhakrishnan, who's the artist on that book at one point, and we were already working on uh, another pitch on a different series. But when this opportunity came up and I said, Anand, you're from Mumbai, and I know you've always wanted to draw something kind of based in the city. Do you want to do this? And we were like, yeah, let's do it. And I remember very specifically having like a super drunk conversation about it. Um, while I was down for uh, Mumbai Comic Con and Aditya was there, um, who letters everything I do, but he was kind of so, so kind of taken in by this whole talk of like, yeah, we're gonna do a story about Mumbai. It's gonna be great because um, there's a joy, you know, there's a joy in doing a story about things that you're intimately familiar with and things where you places where you grew up, right? Uh, and Aditya yeah. is sitting there at the table and he's like, oh man, I feel like you guys are gonna be bringing so much to this, and he had had. A few drinks by this time he went i'm gonna hand letter the whole thing that's gonna be my thing and oh wow and we were like oh yeah cool cool man like, let's let's hand letter the whole thing yes we all decided on it and then now now he's on i think i think he's hand lettering like page 50 or something he's like oh man i had a few too many to drink that day <laughs> didn't i mm. yeah <laughs> but, it, but it looks so good um and the because, quality looks excellent. Yeah, because it's hand lettered too. It's gonna feel like something that was, and 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 I've said this before about about this book. It's it's gonna feel like something that was crafted rather than produced. You know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can head to unbound.com um, and uh, look for Graffiti's Wall. It's um, the spelling of it is uh, is a little unusual. So it's G R A F I T Y S. Uh, for graffitis um, and that's uh, you were saying before we recorded that's like a little play on words for graffiti but also gravity as well yeah. uh, so the, yeah. the story kind of features a, a, a street artist in Mumbai who um, calls himself graffiti or signs all his murals with, with a G and a down arrow and so it's a reference to that um, and yeah the story kind of centers around him and the mural that he's building on this wall uh, where all his friends kind of gather, and then we kind of get glimpses into the lives of these four or five characters, um, and and we get a sense of what it's like to be growing up in the city, which is, oh, I mean, yeah, it's overcrowded, it's messy, it's crazy, but it's also hopeful, it's also inspiring, it's also the great equalizer, it's a city of dreams, uh, and so that like that really presents to me an interesting angle to take like what what how what's it like living in a city that inspires you and kicks you when you're down in equal measure you know yeah i mean uh, looking at anan's uh, the the preview pages on uh, on the on, on unbound.com there some of the the panels well all of the panels are gorgeous but some of them are especially you know fantastic like the the aerial shot of the traffic in mumbai is just mm-hmm. is just stunningly yeah. detailed and then the the close-up of um of graffiti's uh kind of uh, utility belt for want of a better word like he's yeah. just got like yeah. he's got like uh, a, a, a magazine stuffed down the back of his pants and he's got uh, he's got all these uh all these like uh, paint cans like tied to his belt it's yeah. uh, but just the the detail of it and the the kind of the um the structure of that panel is is fantastic as well so yeah, yeah. it looks looks amazing and uh, and people can get like a digital copy of that like the full digital copy of the of the book for for 10 pound and then you know yeah. for as little as 30 pound you can get the hardback version of it which is which is 
Brilliant. Yeah, really good. And it's going to be $15 US just for like, to, to, to all the, I'm oh, actually okay. looking at, yeah, I was going to say, I'm looking at the, the English. I'm language. looking at the, uh, I'm like, I'm looking at the same page too. That's why I was just like, kind of <laughs> like yeah. 15 for it's, it's for digital. It's $15 mm-hmm. and yeah. for a hardback is $45. Yeah. Which is, yeah. which is, and still- it's going to be a, a 150 ish page book. Uh, and we're, we're a little bit, past the halfway mark and finishing it so we're hoping to have it out in um september and the campaign's actually fully funded so the book is happening but it it's still open for anyone who wants to come in and get themselves a copy and to be honest like this the support for this book has been kind of awe-inspiring so there are some really really big names from comics that i really respect who have like gone out of their way to to back this book so i'm i feel i have i feel like i have this oh crap everyone's watching me now (laughs) but i better make this one good yeah um kind of feeling to it but it's it's also i mean it's pressure but it's also inspiring and and lovely to see that all these people you know come out and said yeah we want to see what this looks like so it's a good kind of pressure though because it shows that people yeah. are discovering your work and going yeah this guy's cool we like this guy exactly yeah we'll have to get you back on the show to uh, to to break down uh, gravity's wall a little bit more and uh, and talk about that when it uh, when it finds release um, we'd love to uh, love to have you back on the show yeah we're we're hoping to launch at the thought bubble comics festival oh brilliant and leads so hopefully around that time we'll, we'll i'll definitely be sending you guys previews ah, excellent so, oh, thank well. you very much well um th- I, you this- have no idea how my i i have this like kid-like grin on my face right now when you said you're sending us previews and i <laughs> i kind of just smiled like cool <laughs> sorry i couldn't hide it like a kid at christmas i, I just looked so cool like i'll i actually was i'll say something here because because this is the sort of stuff that like in a, and it's like a younger me back in like the late nineties, getting back in the comics. If I would have discovered something like this, I probably, it would have blown. This is something that I look at. I'm going, wow, this is so cool. But like late nineties, me, I probably be going, Oh my Lord. This is like the stuff that I wish was around when I was getting back in the comics in the late nineties that I could go, dude, this is so cool. And and I'll be saying that it's kind of cool to see this stuff that I'd be like, wow, this is stuff I wish was around now. And now that it's happening, it's like, I love that this stuff is happening now. It's like stuff that I wish was around back in like the late nineties and stuff like that. So yeah. just, yeah. I'm just like, wow, this is so freaking cool. And cause it's the stuff I kind of, d- I dug back then and I still dig now. It's, yeah. you know, it's just like, this is so neat. So I love that this is going to be a thing that's happening. It just oh, it makes my day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's also part of my sort of need to, because, you know, par- I love doing parody, so I love doing Rune of Thieves. I love doing all the stuff I'm doing. Uh, but I I feel like it's rare to get an opportunity to just tell a quiet story about, you know, normal, everyday people um, and still make it interesting and still make it lovely and beautiful to look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always enjoyed doing that as a as a parallel thing. Uh, and my intention is to, you know, make many, many comics in the years to come, but also continue to do one book that's just, this is what it's like to be in Mumbai, or this is what it's like to grow up as a kid in and do this thing. It doesn't, it doesn't have to have, you know, big, large sort of action landscapes and crazy concepts exactly. to work as a story. Um, and, and I've always been the kind of reader who's enjoyed, you know, I, I love Frank Herbert's Dune, but I also love uh, like Paul Auster's City of Glass, which is a interesting book in a different way. So, so brilliant. Yeah. Well, um, well, thank you very much for coming on the show, Ram. I think we'll uh, we'll leave it there. We've uh, we've taken up enough of your uh, your time. Uh, considering you're not feeling very well, but oh, uh, really appreciate you coming on. Thank you, thank you for having me, guys. Um, so yeah. Where can, um, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, uh, you can tweet at me at the right Ram, uh, and you can find me on Facebook. Uh, I'm there as Ram Venkatesan, and that's spelled V-E-N-K-T-E-S-A-N. Uh, and if you look really hard, you may find an email. So I won't tell you what that is now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, exciting! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and what about you, Wes? Where can people find you? 
You can find me at Geeku Landed or on my website, which I really need to update at geekulanded.com. And running gagram, every time you have been on the, the time you've been on the show so far, you've sent me hunting for a book. <laughs> <laughs> I always do that. Without, it's not just you. Like my friends complain all the time. They're like, oh man, every time I meet with you, I'll leave with like a list of things I have to watch or things I have to read. Because because I tend I, to get I, really enthusiastic about them too. I'm like, you have to read this. <laughs> well, like I actually started hunting, like like uh, not the not the the lady end of the show a little bit here, but I wanted to do this really fast. I was I was if you hear if you hear a bit of me typing furiously, it's me going looking around for the Joe Abercrombie first law book series, going yeah. okay. <laughs> now I want to find this thing. My library doesn't have it, so now I probably is either going to be me succumbing to Amazon and like buying the first book and seeing what I think and then wanting the next two books or me going to my library going, dear library, please <laughs> order, order these books. Yeah. Please order this so I can. So, and cause I know the rest of the patrons of the library will really enjoy this too. Cause that's how I got them to get one book for me one time. So I know that people will definitely enjoy this. Um, like I remember being on a, I remember kind of being on a forum because I'd gotten so frustrated. I've read everything he's written. I love his writing. Um, and I got so frustrated not being able to find any more books like his work that I got on a forum and I was like, I found like at least you know, 50, 60 other people asking the same question. There's nothing like his work out there because it's just so kind of biting and, and almost a little irreverent to the way fantasy is written. So, so... And now, Matt, yeah. you get to finish up your bit since I oh, yeah. since I said, <laughs> since I said on a hashtag tangent fest twenty eighteen. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> tangent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can find me on Twitter. I'm uh, at Matt Loon M A W T L U N E, and you can follow the show at That's the Issue on there as well. Uh, we are um, run on uh, multiversitycomics.com now, so uh, you can head there to find us as well as uh, a bunch of other podcasts, uh, as well as um, quality reviews, previews, interviews, and uh, and all all of the kind of good content as well um but uh, but yeah that's uh, that's it for us uh, so from me and wes and from ram we'll uh, we'll speak to you again next time thank you very much and uh, goodbye Bye, See you later.